Take your Bibles. We're in the book of Romans today, chapter 8. And don't you just love Romans 8? I, I just, I, I love Romans 8. I could just uh, get down to verse uh, 39 and start preaching it all over again. You know, go to verse 1 and just preach through it again a second time. It's just that good. And you know what? We could do that and still have all new truths and, and more depth to, to the, uh, our understanding. But you know, it was a few weeks ago we looked at verse 28, what verse you all know, some of you memorized, and uh, it's one that's just a blessing. And uh, 28 reads that, and he, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Father in heaven, we pray as we open your word that you would open our hearts. Grace us with understanding. Lord, uh, what a deep truth this is, a God who calls us unto Yourself. Lord, I pray that that work of calling would be active today in the hearts of the hearer. Lord, especially anyone here without Christ, you might, this might be the day that You would draw them unto Yourself in a saving way. Lord, I pray You'd forgive us of our sins, cleanse us, Father, of all unrighteousness, those holy vessels, Lord, we seek to, to know You and to apply Your Word to our life. We ask for help towards that end. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, just recently we explored some of the depths of Romans 8.28, uh, the verse we just read, to, who's, to uh, those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. Uh, he's working all things out together for their good. And... Uh, and what a, what a promise that is. It's uh, one of those verses, if you've never done so, you ought to memorize this verse. You ought to commit that to memory. It's not that hard of a verse to memorize. And, and not only that, you, you should meditate on it. Because it's, it's one of those verses, it's a promise of God that will get you through some very dark and difficult days in your life ahead of you. And to prepare and inoculate yourself Learn that verse, study that verse, memorize that verse, and, and let, it, let it percolate in your heart. Uh, it's one of those most hope-producing verses in the Bible. It's one of those most uh, faith-strengthening verses in the Bible. And it's also one of the most joy-infusing verses, I believe, in all of God's Word. And so you can't meditate on it enough. As you think about it, it's our sovereign God who's working all things together in your life. Every detail of your life, every suffering, every pain, every adversity, even driving to work tomorrow or whatever you're doing, helping around the house, whatever it is, He's taking the everyday events of life and working them together for your spiritual good. Remember we saw what the good was? The good isn't taking the bad and flipping it over and, and turning it into something good. That's how that verse is commonly taught. But the good is what? The good is our spiritual good. And we see that as we read through this, that our spiritual good is that we would be conformed in the image of Christ, and even greater than that, that Christ would receive all the preeminence. 
And so that's the greater good that he's doing by working all these things out in our life to conform you into the image of his son, Jesus. Now, here's my question for this morning is, so what confidence do we have that he's going to do that? What confidence do we have that he's going to keep that promise in your life? When, when things go really wonky in your life and, and, and you're just wondering, where is this all going? Why am I experiencing what I'm experiencing? And then we read the promises. He's going to work all things together out for good. How do we know he's going to do that? Well, you say, he promised it. Okay, he promised it. But it's actually more than that because anyone can make a promise. You want to look at who's making the promise. And what, we, what we're going to see here is it's, that promise is based on the unshakable bedrock foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that he, he's, he's, he's giving us a view of in verses 29 through 30. And one of the things we've seen is this gospel is a gospel that's all of God. The God who's all-loving, the God who's all-sovereign, the God who's all-powerful, the God who's all-immutable, He never changes. That God has laid a foundation of salvation upon which He builds in your life, and then on top of that, He makes the promise. And so in light of that foundation, and it's, it's exciting, that's why we're slowing down here. In light of that foundation, this promise is sure. Those we, We're going to see those who get in at the beginning... The foreknowledge of God are going to be secure all the way to the end of glorification. And what Paul has done is, I, I don't think he, Kyle really understood what a fisheye lens was back in those days, but yeah, that's what he's doing. He's taking a fisheye lens to 29 and 30, and he's showing us that, that broad panoramic view of salvation. Your salvation, Christian, didn't begin the day that you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, if, if, if that's what you think, then you've got to go back before that. Your salvation began before Genesis 1.1. Your salvation began before there was any kind of universe or planets or earth. There was God, eternity past. That's when your salvation began. Did you realize that? We saw that in verse 29. Those whom he what? He foreknew. And so those whom he, uh, who were the objects of his affection... Back then, he, well, I wasn't even made yet, but he foreknew you and uh, made you objects of his affection, objects for himself, and then he predestined them. That, that's before creation, to be what? Conformed to the image of Christ. He predestined that you would uh, not only be conformed to the image of Christ, but that Christ would receive all the preeminence. He's the, he's the Savior that was died before the foundation of the world, and therefore, these promises, this work of God was done back in eternity past. I mean, just think about that. You can just meditate on that for a while, and that will just you know, make your heart soar. Today, as we come to the third link in the chain, this golden chain of salvation, first link is God's foreknowledge, right? Second link is God's predestination. So now we're coming to the third link in verse 30. And the first, first one mentioned in verse 30 is, those whom he predestined, he called. So we're going to look at God's calling today. Uh, the he that runs through that, you know, look for pronouns. They're strung together throughout those two verses. You know, you see that, that it's he who foreknew. It's he who predestined. It's he who called. It's he who justified. It's he who glorified. And so what you come up with, you see as a picture, what's, what's the uh, antecedent of he? 
in this, in this two verses, the antecedent of he. Who is the he? God, okay. Yeah, you got lost on the antecedent part. God is the one. He, he, he's the, uh, the antecedent. It's God who does everything. He's the God who foreknew. He's the God who what? Predestined. He's the God who calls. He's the God who justifies. And He's the God who will glorify. And you won't find yourself anywhere on that link. It's all of God. It's monergistic. Salvation is of God and God alone. And what we did is we put the brakes on, right? We slowed the cart down a little bit as we've been going through Romans. And we slowed it down in Romans 8, but we're really pushing a little harder on the brake here in these last few verses because we're looking at a word at a time, which is, you know, take us a while to get, get through Romans. But a, a word at a time. And the reason for that is because I want you to not, I want you to know every link in this chain. You should memorize these links in the chain. You should know foreknowledge, then followed by what? Predestination, and you should know, followed by calling, followed by justification, followed by glorification. And if anyone asks you, tell me your testimony of how you came to faith in Christ, then you can say, where do, where do you want me to begin? Let's go way back. Let's go back to eternity past. Let's go back to the foreknowledge of God. Uh, so we've been pumping the brakes on, slowing them down, looking at just one word at a time, because what I want you to do is to be able to hold in your hand each one of these links, this, the, the link, this golden chain, so that not only do you know how strong they are, but I want you to take the chain in your hand or as we go through this over the next several weeks and realize you can't pull this chain apart. You can't break these links. Well, we're spending time looking at them because... They are welded together by a God who does not change. He does, he's an unchanging God. And He's an all-powerful God who welds each one of those links together. And therefore, we come, we're going to come away with assurance because anyone who enters in to salvation by God's foreknowledge is going to find themselves in eternity future forever and ever sharing in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. None will be lost. None's going to drop off the chain. The chain's not going to be broken. The chain is secure, and therefore you are secure in Christ. So, third link, calling. Let's look at God's calling today. Verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called. Uh, called is an interesting word in Scripture. It's, it's a word that has a couple possible meanings. And if we're going to accurately divide the Word of God, we must be able to divide it in a way that we come up with the right meaning for verse 30. Uh, it's used generally in two different ways as it relates to salvation. You have to put a word in front of it to understand one way, another word in front of it to understand the other way. But the first way would be the, the external calling of God, the outward calling of God. That, that's one way it's used. And the second way it's used is the internal calling call of God or the effectual call of God. Uh, so you've got the internal and the external, and you've got the, uh, the outward, the inward. And of course, the, the, one, the second one is also the effectual calling of God. Uh, whenever the gospel goes forth, whenever the gospel's heralded, whether it's from this pulpit or when you're sitting around the table at home to your children, 
whether it's in a school setting or a Sunday school class, whether you're preaching it from a street corner, whether you're Billy Graham preaching it to 50,000 people as he used to in the stadiums. Whenever the gospel goes out, what happens? That's a general call of God to salvation. It's an external call at first that goes out. And what that means is, is that it goes out, the gospel goes out, and there's a call for people to faith and trust in Christ. And typically, except for in Acts 2 and some other places, typically anyone who goes out and preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ to a crowd, how many walk away saved? So I don't know. I, but usually very what? Very few. Would you say that? I mean, the whole crowd doesn't come to Christ unless you're kind of in an Acts 2 experience. But uh, generally it's, it's very few. So many people hear the call. They, they have the external calling of God, come, repent, and believe. And they get up and they walk out with unbelief in their heart. That's the general call of God. And so every time the gospel's preached, the general call goes out. But that's not what's being referred to here in, in verse 30. Paul is, is referring to the calling here, those whom he predestined, he called, to, the, to that inward calling of God, that, that the... the uh, the call of God that, that brings effectual calling of God. Uh, here's the, this is where it goes into the heart. See, the general call of God goes into the ear and stops. The effectual call of God goes into the ear and works its way down to the heart and ends up bringing faith and salvation. That's the difference between the two callings. Now, the reason why people can hear the good news of Jesus Christ and still walk out through the double doors there unsaved, say, how can anyone do that? How can, don't they want forgiveness? Don't they want everlasting life? Don't they want to know their Creator? How can anyone just walk after hearing the, the call to God? Well, it's because they're enslaved to sin. It's because they, uh, because they are dead to their trespasses and sins, as it says in Ephesians. And so it doesn't go in. They're, they're, they're chained. They're chained to their sins, and they will not leave their sins, even with the good news of the gospel of Christ. You know, a good example of this is, is found in the, in the wedding feast parable of our Lord, this kingdom parable where, remember, the king sends out the servants to come to the wedding feast. So they go out, and they're calling to come in to the wedding feast. And how many come? Well, no one shows up. No one's coming. And so the king says, wait, the wedding's about ready to begin. So he says, uh, go out to everybody and, and, and tell them, uh, call them all to come in. And then you see in that parable, a few respond. Verse 11 says, but when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And then the king said to the attendants, Bind him, hand him foot, uh, bind him with hand and foot, and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then verse 14 says this For many are called, but few are chosen. So the call, taking this back to Romans, the call went out to everyone come to the wedding feast. And of course, you know, we're the picture of Christ and come, coming into his presence. and Come to the wedding feast. General call went out. 
Most people did not respond. They said, no, we're not coming. But as many as were called, now this is the effectual call. This is the calling we see in Romans 8. Uh, For many are called, but the few are chosen. The chosen are the ones who actually respond to the call and believe. Each Lord's Day, God, Lord willing, there's a proclamation from this pulpit to, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Christ. And my prayer is that each Lord's Day there would be a call for those who are without Christ to come and receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Come to Christ. Come to faith. Come to repentance. And, uh, and I, I realize that many leave in, in, in unbelief. Uh, and why is that? Because we're in bondage by our nature to sin. We're slaves to sin. We love sin. We, we don't love God. We don't want to follow Christ. And so uh, every time the, the good news is declared and not received, that's the general call goes out. But sometimes there's that effectual call. The same message goes out, but God's taking that message and producing life and producing faith and bringing that, calling that person unto Christ and they come and are saved. So Paul here is referring to the effectual call, the internal call, uh, not the one that just goes in the ears and runs off the back of a duck, but the one that actually uh, produces faith and life and changes a person and, and affects their will, and they come to Christ and are saved. That kind of a call. Those who are called, remember, are those who are what? Chosen. And those who are called are the ones who are going to be justified. So whoever those called are in Romans 8.30, they're ones that have been chosen by God. And secondly, they're ones that will be justified. So that calling has to be an effectual calling, a calling that will lead to salvation. Uh, That effectual call sometimes is called irresistible grace. Like the general call of the gospel, it's proclaimed, the gospel goes out, and then God takes it with His Spirit and He enlivens the Word, and it does miraculous things in the heart of the hearer, bringing them to Christ. In other words, the uh, inward calling is a calling that's always effective. People are always saved when, the, when that calling goes, of God goes out. Let me give you another example from Scripture. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, 22. Paul writes, For Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jew and folly to the Gentile. Okay, let's stop there. So what you have is uh, the Jews uh, uh, looking for signs. The Greeks are looking for wisdom. When I, whenever we preach Christ, that's, that, that's the call. The, the call's going out. We're preaching Christ. It's a stumbling block to the Jews. It's folly. It's foolishness to the Gentiles, which means that's the general call. It, 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 it's the outward call. It doesn't bring salvation. Verse 24 begins with, But to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. But those who are called, that is those who, who where, the, where the calling of God brings life, it, it, they're seeing the power of God and the wisdom of God on display. So, 
what, what I'd like to do is share with you just a short section out of our confession, which I think does an absolutely splendid job of describing what this effectual call is that we're talking about in Romans 8.30. Those whom God has predestined unto life, He is pleased in His appointed time and accepted time to effectually call. By the Word and by the Spirit, out of the state of sin and death in which they are by nature, to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ. And this calling enlightens their minds spiritually, and savingly they understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone and giving unto them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills, and by His almighty power determining them to that which is good, and effectively drawing them to Jesus Christ, yet so as they come most freely, being made willing by His Spirit. That is the effectual call of God. You know, if you go back and read that in the confession, each one of those, we, we, we could preach for weeks on, on, the, on the doctrine of God's calling. You know, one of the Puritans, Thomas Watson, talks about this same theme that we see in our confession, and he, he's, he's focusing in on the calling of God having a conquering power in your life. The gospel goes out. The Spirit takes the gospel. He applies it in your heart and life. It explodes in a powerful way, producing Christians. And, and, and so Watson writes it this way. He says, God rides forth conquering in the chariot of His gospel. He makes the blind eyes see and the stony heart bleed. If God will call a man, nothing more shall in the way there be to hinder Difficulty shall be united. Powers of hell shall disband. Who has resisted his will? When the Lord touches a man's heart by his spirit, all proud imaginations are brought down, and the fort royal of the will yields to God every time. That's the effectual calling of God. That's a wonderful thing. It's, uh, and by the way, it's not just taught here in Romans 8. It's taught throughout the Bible. I I could probably read to you 15 or 20 verses in the New Testament alone that speak of the effectual call of God. But let me just read two or three of them for you. Because I want, to, I want to nail this down. I want you to see this is, this is, this is, the, this is the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful by whom you were called under the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So there Paul's telling the Corinthians, you were called into fellowship. And by the way, the church is, is literally the called out ones. And so you can see if he calls you not only into Christ, he calls you into his church. Hebrews 9.15 says, therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So again, we see there a mediator so that those who are called will receive. First Thess well, Ephesians 4.4, 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And then First Thessalonians, the last one here, First Thessalonians 2.12, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you 
to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and to glory. And so when he calls you, you come. You leave the kingdom of darkness, you come into the kingdom of light. And you do so for his glory. You know, another word that's, that's likened with, with God's calling is his drawing you. Uh, John uses that word instead of calling. He says draws. But it's, it's really the same thing. In 644, John writes, No one can come unless the Father who sent me does what? Draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's a strong word, this word for draws him. Draw here is literally the word drag. He drags you into the kingdom of God. Now, not kicking and screaming. He actually grabs you in a way where you come, but you're going to come willingly. And you're going to come willingly to, 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 the, to Him, to Christ. We see, for example, in John 18.10, Simon Peter, we have the same word. Remember when he's about ready to cut the guy's ear off, you know, in the, in the garden? Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it out. Okay, that's the word. He drew it out, pulled it out. You know, I think, for example, of Simon Peter uh, drawing out that sword, big strong arm we see in, uh, in 644. Only those who are saved are the ones who are drawn into the kingdom. Even in John 21.6, again, he uses the same word, uh, although it's translated a little differently in the ESV, but it's the same word for draw. So here we are. Jesus said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some fish. So they cast it out, and now they were not able to haul in. There's the word. They weren't able to drag in all the fish that were in that net because of the quantity of the fish. So you get the imagery there that this is, this is an effectual calling. When God calls you, you come. Uh, when, when, when God calls you, He when you're called by God, He's dragging you literally into His kingdom and into life, and you come willingly. And I think of those burly arms of Peter, the fisherman, you know, and you're dragging these fish in. That's the, the strong arm of God bringing His elect unto salvation. And this calling actually is through which God produces the new birth. The Spirit of God produces life in the heart as He regenerates us and makes us alive. He flips the light switch on. We can, we can see, you know, all of a sudden. And not only can we see, we begin to understand. And, boy, things seem to make sense spiritually. And, and now my will's being affected, and I, I want to come to Christ. And, and you do. And that's the work of God's calling in your life. You can say, well, it was my free will. No, it was not your free will. It was the almighty power of God that drew you unto salvation. And you come, and you come willingly, and you come with faith. So I want to see if I can draw some practical application. Spend some time here, because I think this is a very, a very uh, faith-building truth. Because I believe it should bring hope to you as a believer, uh, encouragement to those of you who are in Christ. Um, those of you who have loved ones, children that might be unconverted, you might have a spouse that doesn't believe in Christ, uh, you might have other loved ones, sisters, friends, extended family, people you work with, you really are heavy, heavy burden for, and you wonder, why don't they get it? Why don't they believe? It's so clear, it's in the Bible, how can they, how can they reject it? 
And you realize it's because they haven't been called. Uh, it's not, not perhaps your lack of fervency or your desire for their salvation or the clarity of Scripture. I'll tell you what, as a pastor, I would be totally defeated if every Sunday I had to stand behind this pulpit, open up this book, preach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing that everyone listening was totally depraved, unable in bondage to their sin, and they're going to remain there. Well, let's, where were we last week? Let's open it up again. And so you, you preach it again. And what happens? They remain in unbelief. Why? Because of their bondage to sin. You know, when I was, uh, one of my prior careers uh, was I taught high schoolers how to sell newspaper subscriptions. That was a great job. So after school, I'd get the high schoolers and get in the car. I teach them to be salesmen and to go door to door and selling subscriptions to the newspaper. And I remember teaching the kids. I said, "Listen, never take no for an answer. You don't take no for an answer. And said, so you haven't had no spoken to you unless you heard it four times. You have to hear four no's before you leave the the door." And uh, and I was thinking. A lot of them got discouraged and quit, and you have a big turnover. But imagine standing behind a pulpit, and it's not four no's until you get a yes. It would be every time you preach the gospel, no, 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 no. No conversions, no salvation, no change. I mean, that, that, you leave, and you, find you go sell life insurance or do something else. I mean, think about preaching to those who are totally depraved, dead in their trespasses and sin, unwilling to bow to the Lordship of Christ. Well, come to Christ, be saved. But here's the wonderful news, and this is what encourages me as a pastor is this, is that we know that God at any time can call a dead sinner to life, and they come. And it's not based on the fancy preaching. It's not based on anything that's done or the, the way we do things. It's based on God and God alone because He's powerful enough to do that. And without that understanding, without that hope, I, 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 I really would. I'd go back to practicing law and arguing to juries again. Uh, it's wonderful news. It brings hope. It, uh, God can call anyone at any time salvation. And He does so effectively. He arrests them, so to speak. He, he arrests the sinners, and then He draws them unto Himself, and they have life eternal and faith. I mean, can you think of any examples in the Bible where that happened? I mean, if, if, if you're, you don't have to think too hard without coming up with the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9. I mean, who's, who's Paul? It's the opening verses of chapter 9. I mean, he hated Christians. He was a fanatical Jew. He, he, uh, he wanted to persecute and throw into jail Christians. I mean, that's his mindset. I mean, verse 9 says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and said, Hey, he asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that he might be found... Uh, any along the way, that's any Christian, men or women, he might bring them bound up to Jerusalem. That's where his head was at. 
And then we see, you know, on the road to Damascus, he's uh, heading towards that. He's got his papers in hand. What happened? Huh? He got roped in. He, God drew him to himself. Uh, he, there was the effectual calling of God at that point. The very Christ that he hated is now speaking to him directly, and he's listening and obeying. Now, that's a change of heart. That's a radical change of heart that only God can do. Verse 19, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. He went out and started telling others about Christ, saying he is the Son of God. How does that happen? God called him. He regenerated him. He changed him. He brought him to himself. Uh, and he would have never done that. I mean, how do you explain, Paul, if, if you don't understand the calling of God in an effectual way? I mean, you really think he's uh, lopping, loping, along on, loping along on a horse uh, to, uh, and thinking all the way to Damascus? See, now I've heard all the arguments for and against the uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, it's plausible. I wonder if it's... You think he rationalized himself into the kingdom of God? No. Uh, in fact, uh, what we have here is just a dramatic and powerful display of the power of Christ in saving a soul instantly and powerfully uh, by the will of God. He arose and was baptized. One of my most uh, encouraging parts of, of, of pastoring and preaching the Word is I know that at any time the Spirit of God can take the Word and boom, apply it. Apply it here, apply it there, apply it here, apply it there. Not because of anything I said, because it's the Word of God and it's the power of God taking the Word of God. I mean, there, there could be boys and girls that are, that are sitting here today and, and they're here because they're with faithful parents who bring them week after week after week and they've heard from this pastor and other pastors and Sunday school teachers and at home over and over and over again the good news of Christ. And they refuse to come and they will refuse to come. Why? Because they love their sins more than they love Christ. And all the warnings can go out, the good news can go out, Christ can be elevated and they'll say no every time. But here's something encouraging. Any day, any time, God can show up in the power of God. And this quickly, He can change you and from the inside out. And those who said no last week say yes this week. And they believe on of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's hope, parents. That's hope. God can and does save sinners, He can and does save children. And those of you who are here without Christ and have never come to Christ, God can save you. So I should also bring hope and encouragement to believers here today. Uh, because of your unbelieving children, isn't it good to know that at any time they can accept Christ? I think one of the most difficult passages, places in our life was uh, when we had prodigal children. And, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those secrets you don't talk about and tell other people you have prodigal children because uh, everyone else's children are going to the mission field and they're all serving the Lord and, and so you're the only one with prodigal children until you mention it. And then once you mention it in a group setting, you find out there's other 
parents who have prodigal sons and prodigal daughters. They were raised in a Christian home by good parents who loved the Lord, who brought them to church, who had family worship at home, and uh, they, they heard, they were catechized, they heard the truth all their life. They might even feign some kind of a, a faith in Christ along the way. But inside, they were never truly converted. And then they leave home. You know, I was talking to someone that was telling me about, it was, you were telling me about someone that you know that just all of a sudden they're going to college. All of a sudden, you know, they're, they're gone. And I'll tell you what, to see your son or your daughter leave home without faith in Christ, pursuing the world, going to the far country, and you've done all that you can do, you've prayed and done all that you can do for their salvation, and you walk, watch them walk through the door, that, that's one of the most hopeless feelings that you can have in your life as a parent. But for the calling of God. See, that's where the encouragement comes. Because at any time, your son or daughter can leave home, can go to college, and they've heard the truth all their life. They know the gospel. They can write it out for you. They just don't believe the gospel. So what do they need? More gospel information? Probably not. What they really need is the power of the Holy Spirit to take the gospel truth and to bring it alive in the heart of the hearer. And that can happen anywhere at any time after they leave home. You know, I tried to find an example. There was, I was going to give my example for my testimony, and I, every one of you could give an example perhaps from your testimony. But I wanted to go back to the 4th and 5th century go back to a man whose name is Augustine. Uh, he was a bishop of Hippo, theologian, philosopher, uh, well-known in church history. He was raised by a devout mother who was a Christian woman. She was a Roman. And uh, her name was Monica. And she had a son named Augustine who broke her heart. He left home and he went out in, the, in his teen years. I mean, he's doing everything you can think of. Young people, listen carefully. He was doing everything you can think of in the area of debauchery. He was doing it. Every form of sexual sin, sexual impurity. He hung out with gangs. He committed acts of vandalism. He wasn't a good young man. He was given over to the heretical teaching of Manichaeism. He, he knew the Bible. He understood the Bible. He heard it from his mom. So here he is running around in a life of debauchery out in the far country until one day. You can read about this in his confessions. It's, uh, if you want to be blessed to see the transforming work of Christ, read through his confessions because one day at the age of 33, he's standing in a garden, okay? He's not in church on Sunday. He's standing in a garden and he hears a voice. He's rejected Christ all of his life. And he hears a voice. And he writes, you know, he couldn't tell whether it was the voice of a boy or a girl. Somehow chanting, the voice came to him like they were chanting. Tole lege, tole lege, pronounced tola, tole la lege. I have to check with my, am I way off on that? Am I close? Okay. Pick it up. Pick it up was a translation from the Latin. Now, what's the chances of something like that happening? 
Take it up. Read. That's how he interpreted it. And apparently there was a, a, a New Testament text nearby. And so he understood this noise coming from the children. I'm going I'm I'm to read the first verse that I see when I open up my Bible. And so he opened it up to Romans 13, 13. He writes, I quickly returned to the bench, snatched up the, the apostle's book, and in silence read the paragraph on which my eyes fell. Quote, not in rioting, here's what he read, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh, fulfill the less thereof. For instantly as he read that from that sentence in the Bible, he says, there was infused in my heart something like the light of full certainty and all gloom and doubt had vanished away. What is that? That's the power of God. That's the God calling a man to salvation. He had the truth. He understood what the Bible was saying. But his heart was hardened to sin, and he was immediately converted through the effectual calling of God. I believe this should be also, for us as believers, a great motivation to live a, uh, or to pray for our loved ones. Uh, if this is true, and I believe it is, if this is true that God calls our, our young people when they leave home and they're out there and He can save them at any time, how much more should we be praying for them? This should motivate us to a life of prayer. If, if God's the one who does the saving, if God can save them at any time, can't the least we do as parents or loved ones or friends pray for them? Pray that God would effectually call them. Pray that God would bring life. Pray that God would bring salvation and draw them into His kingdom. And then also I just wanted to share that I think as Christians, there's a effectual calling should lead us into a, way we, a different way of living. Are you called by God? Have you been called by God? Were you in the kingdom of darkness and He called you into the kingdom of light? And if that's true and you would say, yes, I'm a Christian today, I have full assurance of my salvation, uh, how much more than should you purpose in your heart to live to His glory day by day? If a sovereign decree chose you to be the objects of His intimacy, if He purposed to conform you to the image of His Son, and He will, and not only that, He, he took you at a point when you were rejecting Him and, and called you and made you alive, and, and you came to Him in faith, now that you have a new heart, why would not you take the new heart and live a life of holiness, a life of purity? And this, this should motivate us to live a life pleasing to God. Uh, how can you not purpose to forsake the sin that separates us? Th this is what Peter says in 2 Peter 1.10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, that's these sins that he's mentioned, you, or of holiness, you will never fall. For in this way there will be rich, richly provided for you an inheritance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the way you confirm, affirm your, your calling is what? How you live. Am I called? Well, I don't know. I think I am. Well, how are you living? 
We should be living a holy life. That's how we confirm our, our calling and make our election sure in our heart. You know, lastly, let me just quickly speak to those of you who might be here today without Christ. It could be a small group. I don't know. It could be a larger group that are here. Have yet to truly trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You perhaps have heard the verse that says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Uh, believe on His sacrificial death. Believe on, uh, on, on the fact that He took the wrath for, for the place of sinners. His substitutionary death uh, brings forgiveness, brings His righteousness. And so He's calling you with an external calling. And here's my call to you is if you're old, have you been called? Is God calling you? Whether you're young, you're a child that's here today, could it be today that God is calling you? Uh, could He be encouraged, uh, be encouraging that He's calling you to life? Because I trust that He is. And I, my prayer is that He is doing that work in your heart. You might be a person who has strongly resisted God all of your life up to today. You've been resisting Him. You've been enjoying your sin. You have no place for faith, no place for worship, no joy, no appreciation for God and all that He's done. And up to this point, it's been a life of rejection. But could it be that today is the day that God is bringing His Spirit to apply His gospel to your life to change you for eternity. You might be a person that mocked God like Augustine did. You might be a person like me. When I was younger, my parents used to send me gospel tracts in the mail, and I would, I would roll them up and throw them into the trash can even before I read them. You might be like all of us who are clutching tightly to your sin in such a way that, that, that you're refusing to confess Christ because you know that He wants you to forsake your wicked ways and you will not do that and so you're holding on tight. But could it be that today is different? This is a different day. Could it be that today is the day of God calling in your life? Jesus says, My sheep hear My voice and they what? They come. Uh, by the way, that's a, that is a verse, if you read the context of that, that really applies to unbelievers. You can do that study on your own. It's not an audible voice you're going to hear from Jesus where He's going to call you by name and say, Bill, Mary. No, it's, it's the Word. He's going to call you through the Word of God, His, His gospel. Here's my plea with you today. Don't run away from that calling. Heed that calling. Heed the Word of God. You know, when the hounds of hell are, are, are tracking you down and, and to, to bring you in, respond with a heart of faith and trust. And so I would call you to stop. Just like Paul was brought to his heels. Stop and come to Christ. I, I, I picture a Jesus whose arms are open this wide ready to receive anyone who is yet to come to Christ and, and, and trust Him as Savior and Lord. He loves to save sinners. He delights in saving sinners. So I invite you to leave your sins behind. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who bore the wrath of the Father on behalf of everyone who would trust in Him.
and you'll be eternally forgiven. And then you end up with that last link on the chain. You will be glorified. So, Father, we close today just thanking you again for speaking to us. I'm glad that you're a God who is still, in, still calling uh, those to yourself. And I just pray now as our heads are bowed that you would continue to, for a few moments in silent prayer and could it be the Spirit of God is speaking to you in some particular way of application? Hear His Word and apply it this day.